And we start the show with a public service announcement. We have a public service announcement coming to you from Roto Underworld Radio. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints will be playing one another in weeks 14 and week 16. You know what that means. Charles Sims gets the Saints twice in the fantasy playoffs. Brandon Cooks and Willie Sneed get the Buccaneers twice in the fantasy playoffs. And don't forget about Adam Humphreys, the volume slot receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, getting huge volume in weeks 14 and 16. And of course, the quarterbacks, Jameis Winston and Drew Brees, you'll want to have them active in weeks 14 and 16. This has been a public service announcement from Roto Underworld Radio, and this accent has been all over the place. I'm trading for Charles Sims as soon as Doug Martin returns, because week 14 and week 16 against the Saints. If Willie Sneed underperforms in week four because of his strained toe, go get Willie Sneed. If you're in a deep league, you should be rostering Adam Humphreys, who has become the number two receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The difference in target share between Adam Humphreys and Vincent Jackson isn't close. The argument that Vincent Jackson is still the number two receiver doesn't exist. We talked to Pat Mayo about Vincent Jackson versus Adam Humphreys on the last show, we also talked to Pat Mayo about Corey Coleman versus Terrell Pryor versus Josh Gordon, which brings us to breaking news. Josh Gordon has voluntarily entered a rehabilitation clinic, and his football future is currently unknown. I don't believe Josh Gordon will be playing football this year, and his career is very much in jeopardy. He has always been on a similar track to Justin Blackman, but Justin Blackman was dropped and dismissed and discarded by fantasy footballers a year ago. For some reason, many of you maintained hope that Josh Gordon could help your fantasy team at one point, and that hope was always misguided. And the Minions are tweeting about it on Twitter. Matt Kelly warned you about Josh Gordon. But I really didn't. Josh Gordon warned us about Josh Gordon. My position over the summer was trade Josh Gordon while people think he'll be back in week six because the odds that he's back in week six are actually a lot slimmer than most people believe because he has five weeks to fail another test or get pulled over. And then what? Well, today we learned he's entering rehab, something he probably should have done two years ago, but he's young. He's young. He's irresponsible. He's not trying to hear your pleas for him to enter rehab. And the NFL wasn't helping matters with the way they handle, or I shouldn't say handle, the way they ignore substance abuse in their league. I've done multiple shows on the NFL hypocrisy when it comes to the use of drugs by players. You can use opiates as long as they're painkillers, but if they're not classified as painkillers, you're going to get suspended. If it's helping you get on the field, take them. Otherwise, it's a social vice, and you'll be suspended after multiple positive tests. But I've done multiple shows on the NFL's refusal to help players with substance abuse issues. 
It's a punitive system, not a rehabilitative system. Go to YouTube, search for Roto Underworld Radio and Josh Gordon, and you'll see shows such as Josh Gordon and a tale of two Cleveland open letters. Josh Gordon hates Rob Gronkowski. This ground has been well covered by the show. We empathize with Josh Gordon's real-life situation. His story is all too common among major sports athletes and across society. The way we treat substance abuse is improving across the board in all areas of society, but we would like to see it improve faster. In all social spheres, the systems are set up to do more punishment than rehabilitation, and that needs to change. But this is a fantasy football show, and fantasy football is dehumanizing. You don't win fantasy football championships by factoring in a player's real-life challenges off the field, a player's real-life pain, when you're deciding whether or not to accept a trade or to pick a player up off the waiver wire. So in a fantasy football context, we can only know the rules of the road and act accordingly. That's why we advocated trading Josh Gordon in Dynasty every time it appeared that he would be allowed to play football again. As soon as that news broke, trade Josh Gordon. That was the recommendation because we understand the rules of the road. After X number of failed tests, you become Justin Blackman. That's why we're not trading for Martavis Bryant. He's on the same road. It's a highly punitive road filled with barricades, a system set up to prevent Martavis Bryant from ever playing the sport he was born to play. And this summer, we advocated avoiding Martavis Bryant and avoiding Josh Gordon in all formats, especially Dynasty. Members of this audience, email me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Tweet me, at rotounderworld. Here's my roster. I see Josh Gordon on the bench, and I ask the question, why are you rostering Josh Gordon? There's plenty of players that are scheduled to play next week who could break out. Why are you rostering Josh Gordon? And I fear we're going to go through the same exercise with Martavis Bryant next summer. This past offseason, after a piece of news broke in Josh Gordon's favor, I went out and I traded my last Josh Gordon in Dynasty for a first-round pick this year, a second-round pick this year, and a second-round pick next year. The two picks I received this year became Carson Wentz and Will Fuller. So even when we were assuming Josh Gordon would be reinstated, I was already way ahead on that particular trade. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, 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 what, what? You drafted Carson Wentz in Dynasty? Yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Superflex League, Jared Goff off the board, Paxton Lynch off the board, second pick overall, Carson Wentz sitting there. Yes, you draft him. I said it would be a mistake for the Rams to draft Carson Wentz over Jared Goff. That sports opinion is certainly trending wrong. But on that same show, I also acquiesced. Carson Wentz, best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Carson Palmer. Because Carson Palmer didn't have impressive efficiency metrics at USC. Jameis Winston was an inefficient quarterback in his final year at Florida State. But what do Carson Wentz and Jameis Winston and Carson Palmer do that fantasy footballers crave? They throw the ball downfield. The number of quarterbacks in the NFL that fearlessly throw the ball downfield is slim. And that's the one thing that we knew about Carson Wentz throughout the pre-draft process. He is unafraid to push the ball downfield. That level of 
football acumen and confidence in your ability is rare. Ben Roethlisberger has it. Carson Palmer has it. Aaron Rodgers has it. Very few quarterbacks have it. Carson Wentz clearly did. And the question was, how would he handle NFL pressure? Ryan Tannehill has a big arm, but unless it's Kenny Stills running free behind broken coverage, Ryan Tannehill doesn't trust himself to let those throws go. Carson Wentz trusts himself to let those throws go. We didn't know that that's how Carson Wentz is wired until we saw him play in an actual NFL game. That's why when you go to the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings, now that we've watched Carson Wentz push the ball downfield for three consecutive games, posting more than 17 fantasy points per game at age 23, now that we've seen that, we've bared witness to that, Carson Wentz has become a top 10 quarterback on our dynasty rankings. We don't yet know what Jared Goff is. We do not yet know what Paxton Lynch is. So those quarterbacks are necessarily outside the top 20, while Carson Wentz is now safely entrenched in the top 10. And Ryan Tannehill has been perpetually positioned outside the top 25 on the playerprofiler.com dynasty rankings, even though he's only 27 years old. Why is that? Because we've determined that Ryan Tannehill can't play, that the Miami Dolphins are in quarterback purgatory, and they will remain there as long as Ryan Tannehill is under center, getting every coach that's touched him fired. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is the Medusa of NFL quarterbacks. I mean, he looks the part. He looks beautiful. But when he turns his head and you stare in those blue eyes, as a coach, you turn to stone and you get fired. And they have to bring a dolly onto the practice field and wheel you out because you're a statue. Ryan Tannehill is an NFL quarterback statue who turns coaches into unemployed statues. No other dynasty player ranking service has Ryan Tannehill outside the top 25. No one would dare but playerprofiler.com. Because we're on year five now of the Ryan Tannehill experiment, and all we've experienced is pain and suffering. Where's Joe Philbin right now? Get Joe Philbin on the phone. Let's call Joe Philbin. Anyone that has Joe Philbin's phone number, send it to me, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Email me Joe Philbin's phone number. I want to talk to Joe Philbin. Where are you, Joe? Is he employed? Does he work for a team now? I haven't been following Joe Philbin's career. Let me know where he ended up. Whatever happened to Joe Philbin, Ryan Tannehill did it to him. Because Joe Philbin looked good when Aaron Rodgers was his quarterback. Ryan Tannehill can't play. It was clear that Ryan Tannehill can't play in 2013. Then Ryan Tannehill had a handful of impressive games in 2014, and you were hooked again, and he was reeling you back in. Ryan Tannehill then posted below average efficiency across the board. All advanced efficiency metrics on playerprofiler.com told you in 2015 that Ryan Tannehill is a backup caliber NFL quarterback and no team, even a team with the 85 Bears defense or the early 2000s Ravens defense or the 2015 Broncos defense 
Even those teams would fail to win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill under center. Ryan Tannehill can't play the position at a level of competence in which you can build a franchise around him. He just can't. And it's a failure by the Miami Dolphins player personnel department not self-scouting properly and identifying Ryan Tannehill as a player that needs to be replaced. Because in the last draft, instead of drafting an offensive lineman, they could have drafted Paxton Lynch. Or they could have waited a few more rounds and drafted Dak Prescott. They didn't do that. Every single offseason, the Miami Dolphins have been going all in with 6-7 offsuit. And everyone at the table is looking around thinking, what the hell are you doing? So we've been right all along about Ryan Tannehill. The most right. As right as you could be. It's not just being right or wrong. What we seek to do on this show is to be the most right on a player. But in doing that, you leave yourself exposed and open to the possibility that you're the most wrong. We said Devin Funchess was better than Kelvin Benjamin before the season. We're trending most wrong on that one. We said Terrell Watson was a better running back than Isaiah Crowell. We're trending most wrong on that sports opinion. I said Kamar Aiken is a better wide receiver than Mike Wallace. I've been trending very, very, very wrong on that position. But you can't say I was wrong about Kevin White. Because even though Kevin White has received 27 targets through three games, I have been the most right about Kevin White. On those Player Profiler Dynasty rankings I talked about, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings to see the Dynasty rankings. Kevin White has been ranked outside the top 50 Dynasty wide receivers behind players like Jamison Crowder, Tyrell Williams, Mohamed Sanu, Terrell Pryor, Chris Hogan. But then I keep seeing, oh, well, the Bears seem to really like this kid, Fantasy Mansion. He's starting to round into form. John Hansen said that on SiriusXM. Kevin White's starting to round into form. Is he? What evidence do we have that Kevin White is quote-unquote rounding into form? Because Kevin White's production premium, our situation agnostic efficiency metric, situation agnostic, if you're unfamiliar with that term, I explained it in excruciating detail on the last Roto Underworld show with Pat Mayo. On any given target, on any given down and distance, how does Kevin White perform against league average? Negative 35.6 production premium. That was 77th in the league. Negative 49.8 target premium. Meaning on a per-target basis, how does Kevin White perform compared to the other receivers in the Bears passing game? Bears quarterbacks are getting half the production from Kevin White that they would from any other Bears receiver. That's what a negative 49.8 target premium means. That's 76th in the league because it doesn't get any worse. 4.9 yards per target doesn't get any worse. Across the board, production premium, target premium, yards per target, Kevin White is league bottom. He represents the worst among wide receivers qualified for those metrics. Kevin White has been an abomination this year. As outspoken and strident about Kevin White's mediocrity as I've been for over a year now, he's exceeding even my expectations for his mediocrity. But what about the target share? Kevin White's 26.5 target share is 14th in the league. How do you explain that? He's getting open, right? 
Not really. I think what's happening is teams are leaving him open and bracketing Alshon Jeffrey because Kevin White does not threaten opposing defenses. Alshon Jeffrey does. And here's what else Alshon Jeffrey has going for him. Brian Hoyer. We talked earlier about how few quarterbacks are unafraid to push the ball down the field. We have only a handful of quarterbacks that fit the Ben Roethlisberger, Jameis Winston, Matthew Stafford, Carson Palmer, and now Carson Wentz, gunslinger archetype in the NFL. We have too many Alex Smiths and Sam Bradfords and not enough Jameis Winstons and Carson Palmers. Brian Hoyer is also in that gunslinger group. Brian Hoyer is unafraid to push the ball downfield. And after last week, when Kevin White converted 14 targets into 62 yards and no touchdowns, Brian Hoyer is watching the tape this week, and I believe that he has come to the realization that, hey, I'm better off forcing the ball to Alshon Jeffrey in double coverage than dumping it off to Kevin White for three yards or a drop. Brian Hoyer's not afraid to throw long passes. He's not afraid to throw into coverage. That's why on the playerprofiler.com lineup optimizer, we provide 10 GPP lineups for both FanDuel and DraftKings. Brian Hoyer is in four to five of those lineups on each platform. Brian Hoyer is showing up in the lineup optimizer more than any other quarterback this week because of his price. $5,000 salary on DraftKings, $6,000 salary on FanDuel. It's his price and his upside. That's what we're looking for. Upside value. And Brian Hoyer has a damaged brand facing a Lions defense that gives up plus 7.82 fantasy points per game above the mean to opposing quarterbacks. At five and $6,000, Brian Hoyer will still be under-owned because of that damaged brand. The lack of brand equity will hold Brian Hoyer's ownership rate down. That's why Brian Hoyer is the ideal tournament play. And if you're going to play Brian Hoyer, you also have to play his number one wide receiver. And his number one wide receiver is absolutely Alshon Jeffrey. It's not Kevin White! People keep asking me, who's the play this week? Kevin White or Alshon Jeffrey? Go to playerprofiler.com, look at the efficiency metrics, and then you tell me. So yes, I've been very right about some players, and I've been very wrong about some players. I've been right down the middle on very few players. Why is that? Because right down the middle analysis isn't interesting. That's why. It's not because I'm not right down the middle on players. There's a lot of players in which my forecast for their future production is aligned with industry consensus. There's a lot of players in which that's the case. Michael Crabtree, for example. How much have we talked about Michael Crabtree on this show? Very little. I like Michael Crabtree. He continues to outpace Amari Cooper in target share in Oakland. So I've liked Michael Crabtree all along, but I haven't liked him a lot more than the industry likes him because the industry also likes Michael Crabtree because since Michael Crabtree landed in Oakland, he's been productive. And, and, and nothing. He's good. Play him. I don't know. Whatever. Nothing to talk about. Get Michael Crabtree, play Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree's one of those wide receivers that you inevitably drafted if you started your draft wide receiver times five or wide receiver times six. And he's now starting because you lost Des Bryant or you lost Sammy Watkins or you lost Keenan Allen. 
that's why you start your draft wide receiver times six because the wide receiver position is the primary point center for successful fantasy teams. So that's the position you cannot risk. You must draft a robust wide receiver core to have continued, reliable, predictable success year to year in fantasy football. And Michael Crabtree perfectly illustrates why in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, you need to be drafting wide receivers like Michael Crabtree and not running backs like Thomas Rawls. But I see so many post-vasectomy, lukewarm, mayonnaise fantasy football analysis on social media, on the SiriusXM satellite radio waves, and on podcasts. I reminded my followers last night that Stephon Diggs is a WR1 in fantasy. He's currently number nine in fantasy points per game, and wide receivers drafted ahead of him continue to underperform or won't be playing this Sunday because of injury. The latest being Eric Decker. Eric Decker, a wide receiver one in fantasy last season. Stephon Diggs is on the Eric Decker path to WR1 status in fantasy. Deal with it. It's true. I know I'm the only one saying it, but it's also not really up for dispute. Can you give me 12 wide receivers that are going to outperform Stephon Diggs this year? Good luck. That's all you do, fantasy man. You just like to give hot takes. Just hot take, hot take, hot take. It's all you do. You lack credibility because all you want to do is hot take, hot take, hot take. It's not true. I love hot takes because hot takes to me just mean interesting opinions. That's all a hot take really is. If it's not a hot take, it's not interesting. So don't bother sharing it with the world unless it's interesting. If it's interesting, I'll share it. And then by definition, that also means it's hot. I don't share cold takes, which just means to me, I don't share uninteresting opinions. But then you see, after I share my thoughts on Stefan Diggs, you have wannabe Michael Fabianos replying back with just reheated, uninteresting positions. Here's one regarding Stefan Diggs. ROS, I'm not sure he's a WR1 in parentheses top 12. You think top 12? Really? WR1? That's what that means? Thanks for the definition. But I think Stefan Diggs will be a solid WR2 with some upside. Yeah, solid WR2 with upside. What does that mean? That means he's somewhere. WR2 probably, but also could be WR1. I don't really know. So what I'll say is solid WR2 with upside. Then I'm covered because I don't want to be wrong. No, you don't want to be wrong. That's horrible. You have to give all the money back that you've collected for your free podcast if your opinions from your podcast end up being wrong. (laughs) But even though I have him projected to finish as an upside WR2, I still really like what I'm seeing from Diggs. Why are you sharing what you're seeing from Diggs? Wait, what? Are you seeing something we're not? You have some film of the games that we don't have access to. You're seeing something from Diggs that's interesting that the rest of us haven't already seen because the assumption is if we're on football Twitter, we're all paying attention. And if we're all paying attention, we've seen what Stefan Diggs has done this year. So are you seeing something above and beyond what we're seeing? Please share that. Tell us. Give us the gif. I got to see this. This sounds really interesting. You like what you're seeing from Diggs. Please expand. No, there's nothing to share. 
because it's just an uninteresting vanilla position that says nothing. It's nothing. That tweet said absolutely nothing. I'll read it again. This is what you see every day across the board in mainstream fantasy football analysis. This person is just practicing being a mainstream say-nothing fantasy analyst. I'll repeat it. ROS, I'm not sure he's a WR1, but he's definitely a solid WR2 for me with upside. I really like what I'm seeing from Diggs. Useless! Useless! Utterly useless. But that is the majority of fantasy football content right there. Right there. It was distilled when I read it last night. I said, this is it. This right here. I come out with the position. Stefan Diggs is now and will be for the rest of the season a WR1. As usual, something I see as a safe, almost obvious position that no one else has the courage to share for whatever reason. Something that to me is in no way extreme. Even that is too much for someone who's not even a mainstream fantasy personality, you see? This is just a cardboard cutout wannabe with no audience on Twitter offering this level of nothing. This is why so many of you gravitate to this show. I know it. It was distilled perfectly in this tweet because this is what you're inundated with every single day in your quest for real, actionable, interesting fantasy football information. You are inundated with a bunch of nothing. And I don't understand why this is going to be my quest over the next few months to try to understand why no fantasy football analysts say anything. Why even their wannabe followers who don't have audiences refuse to say anything. How? What? What are you afraid of? I've never seen an industry in which the vast majority is terrified to say something interesting. And what makes it all the more confusing is they're analyzing a game which is a proxy of another game. It's extra entertainment on top of sports entertainment. That's the place where you're terrified of saying something wrong, so you stake out every possible position. Well, I have him as a mid-tier wide receiver, but he has upside, but there's also some risk. Great. Thank you for that. Very helpful. People ask me, what shows do you listen to? What podcast do you listen to? None. I don't listen to fantasy football podcasts. Why would I do that? What websites do you go to for fantasy football information? None. None. <laughs> Why would I? No one's saying anything. If there's a podcast where someone is giving only interesting sports opinions, then I want to hear it. They may exist. I'm just not aware. But I've sampled a lot. And so much of it is so bland. It's flavorless. It's like, do you know how to season your show? Do you know how to season your article? You've got salt. You've got pepper. You've got cayenne pepper. You've got paprika. You've got rosemary. You've got basil. There's so much in this cabinet. Coriander. Lemon zest. There's so much. And fantasy analysts use... None of it! One more time. ROS, I'm not sure he's a WR1, but he is a solid WR2 with upside. 
I really like what I'm seeing from Diggs. There's less value add to writing those words and clicking send than just sitting there and breathing. You're better off just sitting and breathing. Another player I don't have much to say about this year, Tyler Boyd. I like Tyler Boyd, but I'm not on my roof waving the Tyler Boyd flag. And Tyler Boyd caught one pass for 10 yards last night. That didn't affect me at all. He's a rookie wide receiver. He's 21 years old. He'll get better. End of story. I don't have any analysis of Tyler Boyd to offer you. But we had John Moore from Rotoviz now with Pro Football Focus on the show. And he came on and he had really strident, contrarian, interesting views on Tyler Boyd. And it was the most interesting sports take he offered on that show because it was extreme and it made you think. That's what we're trying to do with this show. We're just sitting here asking you, would you like to think? Would you like to be stimulated? Okay, let's stimulate. Let's stimulate some neurons in the brain. Let's do that. Let's try it. I didn't jump at anyone's mentions last night to talk about Tyler Boyd because I had nothing to add, unlike these Fabiano wannabes who jump in my mentions with their too safe vanilla analysis that offers nothing. Save it for your podcast that only your high school buddies listen to. Was anyone saying Emmanuel Sanders is clearly better than Demarius Thomas during the offseason? No, I was the one saying that. Now Emmanuel Sanders is scoring two more fantasy points per game than Demarius Thomas. That even in a game in which Demarius Thomas scores on a fluke long touchdown, because the one thing that Demarius Thomas is not good at, it's the long touchdown. Demarius Thomas is really good at dropping the underneath drag routes. That's been his specialty the last few years. You rarely see Demarius Thomas scoring on a long touchdown bomb. But we got one last week, and we probably won't see another one for the rest of the year. Even with a fluky long touchdown on Demarius Thomas's 2016 resume, he's still being outscored by Emmanuel Sanders. So are we ready to say Emmanuel Sanders is better than Demarius Thomas yet? Or are we still going to continue with this exercise? Pretending that Demarius Thomas is what he was three years ago when he's clearly not. But while we're grading my calls, good and bad, we can't forget about Quincy Anunwa. Who can forget about Quincy Anunwa? On the Quincy Anunwa player page on playerprofiler.com, you can scroll down and we have YouTube highlight clips from the show embedded in the player pages. And there you can hear me talk about Quincy Anunwa and explain why he was the highest upside late round wide receiver in all of fantasy for 2016 alone. And it happened. Can I ask the flavorless wonder bread fantasy analysts out there that listen to this show? What would you rather have? Would you rather be alone on an island of correctness? The rightest of the right on a swath of players from Kevin White to Quincy Anunwa? while also being very wrong about a couple players like Kelvin Benjamin and Sterling Shepard? Or would you prefer to only offer down-the-middle, say-nothing, lukewarm fantasy analysis that's utterly uninteresting and unhelpful? What would you rather have? Which one is better? I don't... I'll take door number one. I'm reminded of a trade that I executed August 2015. 
I traded Alan Hearns in Dynasty for Quincy Inunua. And you can imagine, during the 2015 season, I was very upset at myself for doing this. But why did I do it? Why did I trade Alan Hearns for Quincy Inunua? The answer is playerprofiler.com. Playerprofiler.com told me to do that trade. Playerprofiler.com indicated that Quincy Inunua has more long-term upside in a dynasty context than Alan Hearns. But even knowing that, watching Alan Hearns post WR1 and WR2 fantasy weeks in 2015 made me question my decision. How could it not? Inunua wasn't playing. There were weeks in which Alan Hearns was dominating. But now where are we? Now if the owner of Alan Hearns asked for a redo today... I would decline it. I would rather have Quincy Inunua than Alan Hearns in Dynasty at this moment. And Player Profiler doesn't just help you plan your fantasy draft. Player Profiler doesn't just help you evaluate trades. Player Profiler helps you measure player upside. That way, in the days leading up to waivers processing, whether you're considering using a number one waiver claim or you're considering bidding a significant portion of your fab budget, this is another place in which player profiler becomes imminently helpful. When deciding which players to claim and how much to bid, that's when player profiler is at its finest. Player profiler shows you, wow, Quincy Inunua is getting 11 targets per week while sharing a field with Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. What if Eric Decker isn't active in week four? Then what is his target share going to be? Will Inunua receive 15 targets? It's possible. He has WR1 and fantasy upside in week four if Eric Decker doesn't play. And player profiler helps illuminate that. Beyond just the player page, you can go to the data analysis tool. Go to the toolbar at the top, click data analysis. That allows you to mine the site based on metrics like targets and target share so you know which specific players to add to the back of your bench and your watch list. Player Profiler tells you you should be picking up or trading for Kenneth Dixon. You should be aggressively targeting Wendell Smallwood on their waiver wire this week, not next week. You want to get Wendell Smallwood this week heading into the Eagles' bye before the Eagles announce a week from now that Wendell Smallwood will be starting for the Eagles in week five over Ryan Matthews for whatever reason. You want to read tomorrow's newspaper today, and, and that's what Player Profiler helps you do. I dove into every expert league in which I participate in last Sunday morning and picked up Orleans Darkwa everywhere when it was apparent that Rashad Jennings was not going to play. Why? Because Player Profiler showed me, oh wow, look at Orleans Darkwa's best case scenario, Charles Sims. That's a player I need to target. I need to get him on my roster now because despite what the beat reporters are saying and what Mike Clay is speculating, people that don't actually know what's going to happen, you need to stash Orleans Darkwa before week three because whether or not Shane Vereen is injured or not, the Giants may decide to give the lion's share of the carries to Orleans Darkwa, not Shane Vereen. It's the same justification for aggressively targeting Dwayne Washington days prior. By the way, for all of you that are subscribed to the Player Profiler or Concierge service, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge, and you can sign up for personal team advice. I'll evaluate trade offers, add drop decisions, 
not start sit. You want start sit advice? We have weekly rankings for start sit. You don't need to ask me, should I start player X or player Y? The rankings are there for that. You can run your own fantasy team when it comes to start sit. And if you're frustrated that you have too many good players on your bench, go join a deeper league with more flex positions. That's the solution to that. Don't bother me with start sit decisions. It's not what the service is for. Unless you think instead of preparing for a podcast, I should be answering your start sit decision because that's the position you're putting me in with this concierge service, inundating me with these start sit decisions. It makes me make a start sit decision. Do I sit the podcast and start your question or do I start the podcast and sit your superfluous start sit question? I'm going to start the podcast because thousands of people enjoy it. You should be making your start sit decisions. But the service is really valuable to help you evaluate trades and decide who to pick up because we have a waiver wire newsletter that goes out on Tuesday telling you who to pick up like Dwayne Washington and one on Friday that tells you who to stream and who to play in DFS. Whether it's Orleans Darkwa, whether it's Dwayne Washington, we've been telling you to stash these players because you can't rely on the satellite back, whether it's Theo Riddick or Shane Vereen, to absorb the majority of the carries. It's not going to happen. So Orleans Darkwa and Dwayne Washington necessarily become interesting ads in those situations. This week, it's Wendell Smallwood and Kenneth Dixon. And when you're asking me whether or not you should pick up Dwayne Washington via the text message service, you need to do better than saying, should I pick up D. Washington? D. Washington. Think about how stupid it is to ask me if you should pick up D. Washington. Use your brain for a second. Think about the available players in the NFL. How many fantasy-relevant players have the last name Washington? How many? Two. What else do we know about those two players? They're both running backs. What else do we know about those two players, concierge clients? Their first names both start with D. DeAndre Washington and Dwayne Washington. So maybe be a little less lazy when you're asking the question and write out the full name, Dwayne Washington or DeAndre Washington. Enough with the D Washingtons. How is that not obvious? But that's not even the worst example of the lazy questions. This is my favorite. Should I pick up Coleman? Should I pick up Coleman? Should you pick up Coleman? That's a great question. Should you pick up Coleman? I don't know. Maybe you should pick up Coleman. Maybe you shouldn't pick up Coleman. Because A, I don't know who you would drop. So maybe phrase it as, should I pick up Coleman and drop player X? Maybe provide me with the necessary information to give you a thoughtful answer because that's what you're looking for, right? I'm postponing the podcast so I can answer your one-off question, but it's worse than that because you only wrote the word Coleman. Should I trade for Coleman? Should I pick up Coleman? Which Coleman? There's two Colemans. Don't you know that? There's Corey Coleman and there's Tevin Coleman. So maybe specify, maybe? Guy in my league wants to trade for Coleman. Oh, great. Thank you. That's really helpful. Okay, which Coleman is it? <laughs> God, electronic laziness. That's what it is. Electronic laziness. One of my perpetual laments. Should you trade for Tevin Coleman? No, he just came off a three touchdown game. You don't trade for players coming off three touchdown games. If anything, you offer them in trade and see if someone will overpay for the guy that just came off a three touchdown game. 
Should you trade for Corey Coleman? The answer is yes. Should you trade for Dante Moncrief? The answer is yes. Why? Look at the injuries these players sustained. Dante Moncrief, broken scapula. Corey Coleman, fractured hand. These injuries have definitive recovery timetables. I would rather trade for a player with an elongated yet definite recovery timetable than a player with an uncertain timetable who could be back as early as next week. Yeah. Or he won't be good for the rest of the season because he'll be debilitated. That's why you need to jettison Sammy Watkins and Des Bryant and you shouldn't be trading for Eric Decker. Eric Decker has cartilage damage in his knee and a torn or strained labrum in his shoulder. Both of those injuries are nebulous and health uncertainty reduces a player's value significantly and health uncertainty reduces a player's productivity and his value significantly. If you're going to trade for an injured player, make sure they've injured bones, not muscles, not ligaments. Trade for Corey Coleman. Not just Coleman, Corey Coleman. And Moncrief. And yes, you can just say Moncrief because there's only one Moncrief. But you shouldn't be trading for Brandon Marshall. We don't know how injured his knee is. He's not going to tell us. The Jets are not going to tell us. And if we don't know, we can't trade for him. We can't trade for Willie Sneed until Willie Sneed proves productive. I would rather pay more for Willie Sneed after a good game in weeks four, five, or six than trade for him now without knowing how his strained toe ligaments are going to affect his performance. You want to target players with stable, predictable recovery timetables, not players with recoveries that are shrouded in uncertainty. But I mentioned earlier, you should be trading for Kenneth Dixon. Kenneth Dixon sprained MCL, not necessarily a bone, but recovery timetables from MCL sprains based on grades are relatively predictable. And if you want to know what injuries a player has sustained, Go to playerprofiler.com and scroll down. We have an injury panel which shows a player's injury history back to 2010. So you can read all about Kenneth Dixon's injury and Eric Decker's injury history and Brandon Marshall's injury and Julio Jones' injury and on and on and on and on and on all the way down to Ryan Matthews' injury. Go to Ryan Matthews on playerprofiler.com, scroll down to the injury section, and then click the show all button. <laughs> right? I don't necessarily believe that Ryan Matthews is significantly more injury prone than another running back. I don't think Ryan Matthews' bones are made of glass or paper mache. But I do believe Ryan Matthews has been Wally pipped by Wendell Smallwood because he's not durable enough. It's not because his bones and ligaments and muscles are more susceptible to injury. I believe Ryan Matthews' pain tolerance is below average among NFL running backs. I think that's the crux of the issue. He either cannot or he refuses to play through pain. That's how some players are wired. Others are wired differently. Matt Forte is wired differently. Matt Forte will play on a sprained knee. Ryan Matthews will not. That also means that Ryan Matthews will be able to walk up and down the stairs at age 50. Matt Forte will not. But I talked about this earlier with Josh Gordon. The brutality and the immorality of the NFL is not something that we can consider 
when making fantasy football decisions. Matt Forte and Ryan Matthews are participating in a blood sport, and their ability to tolerate pain while performing blood sport matters to our fantasy teams. That's why we're rostering Matt Forte, not Ryan Matthews. The fact that these players are playing through pain is absolutely a moral conundrum, but once we make the decision to participate in the game of fantasy football, which is built on a sport rife with immorality, we must compartmentalize our morality and dehumanize these players and analyze them only as proxies in a game and only analyze their strengths and weaknesses that affect their on-field performance and necessarily compartmentalize any analysis of their humanity. It's a moral conundrum I struggle with every single week of the NFL season. But when I step away and I look at durability clinically, I come to the conclusion that I must be stashing Wendell Smallwood now. When I look at injury recovery timetables clinically, I come to the conclusion I must be stashing Kenneth Dixon now. And on Player Profiler, I just keyed in Golden Tate. And I scroll down to his medical history report. You'll notice he suffered a sprained ankle in preseason, which cost him significant practice time. Why is that important? Because Golden Tate, more than any other receiver in the NFL, wins by breaking tackles. Wins by gaining leverage on defenders after the catch. And healthy ankles are critical for that. And you read this from Pat Thorman on Twitter. Follow him at Pat underscore Thorman. Golden Tate led all wide receivers in missed tackles in 2015. And we matched up with Jacoby Glenn this week, who has missed the fourth most tackles in coverage so far this season. I believe that one of the reasons why Golden Tate has underperformed expectations through three weeks is because he's not able to compile the yards after the catch that he's been accustomed to compiling that we've been accustomed to seeing him compile. But he's now a month removed from that sprained ankle, so he could be getting healthier. And if Golden Tate's ankles are healthy, he will have a productive week matching up with Jacoby Glenn. Also, the big yak monster wide receivers are more volatile week to week. They're harder to predict week to week because they rely on forced missed tackles. Players like Golden Tate are simply harder to forecast because of these under-the-surface factors that wide receivers who rely on air yards like Marvin Jones are not susceptible to. That's why you should be rostering Golden Tate and holding Golden Tate. I'm not saying go out and trade for Golden Tate. What I'm saying is don't sell Golden Tate now for 20 cents on the dollar, and you can't be dropping Golden Tate. He's the number two wide receiver on a high-volume pass offense with one of the few fearless downfield throwers in Matthew Stafford. Talent and athleticism aside, that's just not a player you want to drop. Now make Golden Tate one of the most athletic wide receivers in the league, and he's definitely not someone you should be considering dropping. I can't believe how many times I had to tell concierge clients this week, don't drop Golden Tate and don't throw Golden Tate into a trade unnecessarily. These are lessons we learned three years ago and two years ago and a year ago, and we have to relearn them every single year. It feels like that movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Live, die, repeat. Live, die, repeat. Live, die, repeat. That's my favorite movie in the last five years. I know you're thinking, what? That's crazy. Edge of Tomorrow? A Tom Cruise vehicle is your favorite movie? Well, yeah. 
I found Interstellar more interesting. The movie Steve Jobs starring Michael Fassbender was more compelling. That's true. But I haven't watched the Steve Jobs movie more than once. I haven't seen Interstellar more than once. I've watched Edge of Tomorrow 10 times since it was released. And if any member of this audience does not like Edge of Tomorrow, then we can't be friends. I mean, that's just a fact. You just can't be friends with me. It's fine. I'm sure if I looked at your resume, I would respect you. I'm sure you've done many great deeds in your life. But we'll just never be friends if you don't like the movie Edge of Tomorrow. And it's fine. It's fine if you don't like Edge of Tomorrow. But I would ask the question, why don't you like Edge of Tomorrow? You may not be the biggest Tom Cruise fan, but when Tom Cruise is given a vehicle in which he can be the cheeky, impossible white man, where he can joke around with a strong female lead, when he can turn and give a witty comeback and a wry smile, while the world is blowing up around him, that's the reason Tom Cruise exists. He was put on this world to be cheeky, while in the process of saving the world from robot aliens. Everything you could want in an action movie, Edge of Tomorrow delivers. We have people write the show often. Give me a list of books I should read. Give me a list of movies I should watch. Just go watch Edge of Tomorrow. If you've never watched it, go watch it tonight. It's Friday night. Go watch it. And then write me back your thoughts. And if you're listening to the show with any frequency, my guess is we share some sensibilities and you are going to love it because that's my life. Every day I go out on the battlefield swinging a sword at robot aliens and I die in a fiery explosion and I wake up the next day and I do it all over again. And my sword and my guns and my sword and my guns and then boom, I blow up. And then <gasps> I wake up the next day and oh, Put the suit back on. We're going back into battle. Okay, here we go. And you know who I'm going into battle with this week? Joe Flacco. That's right, Joe Flacco. But I was called dumb on Twitter yesterday because, because I dared. I dared to rank Joe Flacco ahead of Matt Ryan. That's so daring and crazy. I'm wacko for Flacco. Wacko for Flacco. <laughs> So crazy and wacky. Joe Flacco's playing the Raiders. Matt Ryan's playing the Panthers. So... Panthers versus Raiders defenses is a chasm. The Raiders gave up just shy of 400 yards to... Matt Ryan! <laughs> yes! Matt Ryan was epic against the Raiders. Unless you're Marcus Mariota, the Ryan Tannehill-esque Marcus Mariota whose number one wide receiver is a 21-year-old fifth-round pick from UMass. If his name's not Marcus Mariota, he's a quarterback who's shredding the Oakland Raiders secondary. But somehow, this idea that you would play Joe Flacco over Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan playing with a broken Julio Jones, that's dumb. Yeah, that's dumb. All the talent agnostics who only care about the matchup who played Matt Ryan last week, how'd that work out? Less than 20 fantasy points against the New Orleans Saints. That's how. You know who's going to exceed 20 points in both games he plays the Saints? Jameis Winston. Not Matt Ryan. Last night, you all were really excited about Ryan Tannehill. And what happened? He faced a good defense. That's what happens. I mean, 
when Ryan Tannehill faces a good defense, no players on offense score fantasy points. But we have to learn this lesson over and over and over and over again. No, Ryan Tannehill is not a QB1 in fantasy this week. Boom, I explode. Matt Ryan has played Tampa, Oakland, and New Orleans. That's his schedule. We talked about the Falcons' early season schedule this summer. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why we were so excited about Tevin Coleman. Tampa, Oakland, New Orleans. Tevin Coleman, Mohamed Sanu. Now he faces Carolina. Carolina's defense is better than Cincinnati's defense. Carolina is allowing negative 2.98 fantasy points below the mean to opposing quarterbacks this year. They're not letting quarterbacks beat them. They're not letting running backs beat them. Carolina's not letting people beat them unless it's the Denver Broncos in a low-scoring game. Well, who has Carolina played? They've played Trevor Simeon and Sam Bradford, Blaine Gabbert. Matt Ryan's the first good quarterback the Carolina Panthers defense will be facing this year. Well, the funny thing is, Trevor Simeon threw for four touchdowns when he wasn't playing Carolina. The funny thing is, Blaine Gabbert had an above-average fantasy week for quarterbacks when he played Carolina. Sam Bradford's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league when not facing Carolina. So early in the season, we always have this chicken-and-the-egg dichotomy. Is it the player or the defense he's facing? Is this defense just facing a bunch of bad quarterbacks? Or is this quarterback just facing a bunch of bad defenses? I don't know. You can iterate on this into infinity. We don't do that. We just zoom out and we say, what's the current reality? The current reality, according to the data, is Carolina's a great defense. Oakland's a bad defense. We're not going to think about it much more than that. If you were starting Ryan Tannehill because you think Miami has a bad run game and Cincinnati has a good run defense, therefore Ryan Tannehill's going to have to throw to win. If that was your justification for playing Ryan Tannehill, it's the same justification people are giving for playing Matt Ryan over Joe Flacco. Well, how'd that work out for you last night? Because the good defenses sometimes extinguish all fantasy points on both the passing side and the rushing side of the equation. That's why we're playing Joe Flacco over Matt Ryan this week. But, but, but Carolina doesn't have Josh Norman. No Josh Norman. No Josh Norman. No Josh Norman. Their secondary isn't what it was. You don't know that. Do you ever think that maybe the Panthers let Josh Norman slip through their fingers because in the recesses of their mind, they knew what they had on the depth chart behind Josh Norman? Did that ever occur to anyone? Or are you just assuming that the other cornerbacks on the roster behind Josh Norman are all bad? Why are you making that assumption? I don't know. These are the leaps that get made when making start-sit decisions that I don't understand. I'm also seeing a lot of people picking up Terrence Williams but not starting Terrence Williams. Why is that? Why? You get Terrence Williams so you can play Terrence Williams this week against San Francisco. And that's why you pick up Terrence Williams. If you're going to pick up Terrence Williams heading into a good matchup without Des Bryant playing and then not start him? Why the hell are you picking him up? Well, I want to see how he does first. I want to give him a test drive on the bench. That's not how you win fantasy football championships, by picking up players, giving them test drives, and then missing out on the explosive weeks because you were too tentative. But Terrence Williams wasn't good when Dez was out last time. Oh, you mean when Kellen Moore, Brandon Whedon, and Matt Castle were his quarterbacks? 
and he was the most efficient wide receiver on the team, more efficient than Cole Beasley when receiving passes from bad quarterbacks. You mean back then? Terrence Williams is bigger than Cole Beasley. Terrence Williams is faster than Cole Beasley. Terrence Williams has been more efficient during his NFL career than Cole Beasley. And even if you include his college resume going all the way back to his time at Baylor, Terrence Williams has been more dominant on the football field than Cole Beasley. Terrence Williams has never been the number one wide receiver with a functioning NFL quarterback until this week. That's why on the playerprofiler.com player rankings, forward slash player dash rankings, Terrence Williams is a top 40 play this week. So you've made it to the end of the show. You want some free advice? Here's some free advice for you, suckas. Start Terrence Williams.